I remember I first met Belinda uh, through one of the communication arts club student and uh, she's super kind, blonde hair, blue eyes, um, not the typical Australian girl, but uh, she carries uh, still a little bit of an accent. She's a wonderful person, extremely focused, but also extremely kind. And what's impressive about her is the drive and the passion that he has towards her company and cause. My name is Gianluca Cinque Palmi, you're listening to GLC Live, my podcast dedicated to business design. I'm an educator, design entrepreneur, and best-selling author. In this show, I challenge designers, entrepreneurs, and creatives to unravel the complexities between business and design. In this episode, efficiency and the 20% link between business and design. Ciao Belinda, how are you? Hi Gianluca, I'm really well, how are you? <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about Locomotion and about actually your background? Sure, so um, Locomotion is a social enterprise startup. Um, it's a skills-based volunteering platform that exists to help charities and social enterprises make more impact. We hope that by giving them access to um, back office professional skills in the areas of marketing, design and communications, that will free up some internal resources and then people inside charities and social enterprises can stop worrying about marketing, design and communications and get on with making impact in their chosen issue. Um, I didn't start off in the social enterprise sector. Um, I'm a lawyer by background, uh, but I personally really wanted to use my skills um, and give back. And when I was living in Beijing, actually, I had a really hard time trying to do that in my job. So when I came to Hong Kong a few years ago, I totally changed the sector that I worked in and um, started working in corporate social res responsibility. And it's at that point that I started meeting a lot of charities and social enterprises. And my co-founder and I realized that we, that, that charities and social enterprises are staffed by amazing people trying to accomplish big things and big missions with not very many resources. And um, we started to think whether professionals might have a role to play to help charities and social enterprises, because after all, these organizations are tackling all those big issues. And ultimately, we in society are the beneficiaries of all of their work. That's amazing, actually. So today we wanted to talk actually about efficiency for this reason. You, you, you were telling me another time that uh, you were trying to actually actively help these social enterprises that not always have a lot of resources. So they don't have a lot of um, extra resources or maybe design or branding and marketing are not the key for them that's, that needs a constant figure. So they, don't, they can't actually hire a full-time designer. And so the search for efficiency um, and effectiveness, I would say, uh, became essential and, and probably is one of the driver of locomotion. So when we talk about efficiency, we, we talk about the, the results over costs, right? So what can you achieve given a certain amount of money? So 
Is this one of the drivers of locomotion? Absolutely. I think, um, well, to start with, I have to tell you that I think charities and social enterprises are hands down some of the best resource managers of, of anybody that I've, I've ever met. Um, but you quite often get people doing these enormous job descriptions that you would never have in a corporate. So, for example, um, well, in 2016, my co-founder and I, we quit our jobs and we went into six months of market research to really try to understand what the issues were from the perspectives of charities and social enterprises. And then, and only then, if there was an issue and if there was a gap, was there something that we, we could help with? And what we found were, were just amazing people doing trying to do a lot with not very much. But you would get people, for example, um, like a social worker that we know who um, works with refugees. And in addition to helping them on a very practical basis, perhaps just trying to find an emergency housing for a family who's just come out of hospital with a newborn baby or going to the police station and um, helping out a kid who has gotten tangled up with the police or um, trying to secure food for people when they're, um, when their vouchers have, have run out or maybe they need supplementary food. So there's all these very practical things, but at the same time, his organization is saying like, we need to raise money. Can you put together a pitch deck? Can you approach a corporate? Can you run our social media? Um, we, you know, we need more visibility. And quite frankly, that guy already has a full-time to bursting job as a social worker. And, and that, that kind of pattern was repeated um, across um, across many of the organizations that we we met and they're such smart managers with the resources that they do have um, but I think what we found was a lot of people being asked to do things that were maybe outside their core skill set and and at any rate they were already quite stretched so you were telling me exactly uh, for this reason that design and marketing were one of the most Uh, required skills. Absolutely. So in our research, we found that, that there's, there's kind of a hierarchy of, of the, of the needs. Of needs. <laughs> so, you know, first of all, there's the um, financial skills, but most people I think are, you know, concerned enough about the legalities of keeping their finances in order to okay. hire someone to do it. For charities, the next one would be legal skills, but quite often you can get those pro bono from lawyers or law firms, because lawyers, even though everybody loves to joke about lawyers, have a great tradition of pro bono. Um, but for social enterprises, it, legal skills are hard to come across. And then the next one actually is marketing, design and communications. And because for many charities, I mean, fundraising is a key thing for them. Um, these things become a, a real issue. And just to give you kind of a statistic for professional skills across the board. This includes marketing, design, communications, or legal, or, 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 or any other professional skills. But the Center for um, Asian Philanthropy and Society in 2018 put out the Doing Good Index. And it said that across charities that it measured across Asia, 74% of charities have trouble um, obtaining the skills that they need to function. And 71%, once they get somebody, it's quite hard for them to hold on to them. Mm. So, so I think the implication from that is that skills are massive for charities and social enterprises. Um, but 
But for us in Hong Kong, what we found was that marketing, design and communications were really the key ones. They were the ones that everybody needed um, and you kind of, you know, you need marketing, but if you're not from a marketing background, you might not be exactly sure what kind of marketing you need. Um, and, and then you, you have, you have these amazing people who have these huge day jobs and huge missions, and then they're trying to work out how to do the marketing. So when we started, actually, we thought, oh, maybe our thing would be that we would offer people training. You know, if you don't know how to market, I'll teach you how to market. Um, for example, it, it's that whole thing about, you know, find the root cause you don't know how to market okay i'm gonna teach you how to fish but for somebody who is so completely stressed out with their job um that in our market research was a very unpopular idea they, they people told us like well if you teach me how to do social media then my boss who thinks i can do anything will just make me do social media so my job has gone from being this big to being much bigger so Thanks for the training. You've really improved my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, That's interesting, yeah. actually. So, so it's one of the rare cases where you you were you were saying that is is actually the opposite. Like these companies that are slim or or effective, right? Uh, the job description are huge. So if you are looking through legal, it's not only looking through legal, but you have five more <laughs> job descriptions. So giving them training not necessarily would solve the problem. Right, right. And um, and so then we started to think, okay, well, well, well what is it? Um, and, and so definitely for me, I mean, before locomotion, um, well, my background Um, is legal. So I was completely new to marketing, design and communications. So I have a lot of sympathy for our clients um, because I was in exactly their position when I tried to start grappling with with, with local motions, um, marketing, design and communications. Um, so what we found was most of it could be like a mindset thing. Charities and social enterprises were like, I just really want to find a good person that maybe like a good person would be someone who would come in three days a week and do the marketing. But actually, if you kind of, if you, if you think like, why is that person good with well, the charity and, or social enterprise would say, well, they're a good person because if I get them to come in three days a week and do the marketing, then, you know, I guess we're going to get our marketing done. And when you think like, well, what does getting your marketing done mean? Yes. It's just like, oh, I want to complete this project and this project and this project. So then we thought, well, if we can get your projects done, would that be as good as finding someone who's willing to come and sit in your office three days a week and, and do your marketing? And so because, of course, I mean, it's so obvious to you and your listeners, but when I first started, it was not obvious to me. There are so many different facets to marketing, design and communications, so many specialties, um, so many skills within the within the area that actually it's quite unfair even to get one person to do it all. If you are a marketing person in, in a company, for example, there is no you way you would, you would be doing everything. You might have someone who specializes in social media, graphic designers, videographers, it, event planners, the whole thing. So, so again, so for, so for charities and social enterprises, I think what we tried to think was, can we give you the same result, the si same high quality, excellent work, with a few people rather than like one person, because it's quite hard to ask a professional to, to come and sit in someone's office and, and do their marketing. First of all, because the broad, like 
and I've been in I've been in a social enterprise where that has happened and it, it, it hasn't ended well because the person was not the person who came in was not exactly sure what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And the person who was managing them didn't have a marketing background. So they were not really sure what they were supposed to ask for. Um, and so what we found was um, for professionals, that's quite a hard ask. Um, not everyone's got the time. But there were a lot of professionals, maybe like me in my previous life, who would absolutely love to give back their skills, to be part of something that's bigger than themselves and to make a really positive contribution. Um, But they might not be able to do it kind of full time. And in that case, something smaller, like between 10 and 30 hours, that's quite manageable for a professional. If it results in a defined deliverable, that's that's quite easy for people to do and people think like okay that's that's great that, i've that's done something. something that i can so it's win-win in a way so the right. the, the organization gets the uh, the job done and the professional that is can we say donating the hours in a way or, or contributing to the cause Absolutely. gets the reward of maybe getting also a, a creative outlet because I remember that's exactly how I started teaching. When I had the studio, uh, that that was for me my creative outlet. I started as a part-time professor uh, just in the morning. So I was doing 8 a.m. to 10.30 and then by 11 I was back into the studio and that was for me at the time uh, very healthy in in a way because I was running the business, I was stressed, I was um, developing what I called tunnel vision. And so uh, this outlet was quite interesting for me. And I and I see that I, I can see how, you know, um, working on a project that is beyond the scope of the day to day can be extremely beneficial also for the creativity of uh, any creative or entrepreneur. Yeah. I think actually, I mean, I think people are a lot better than, you know, we might think they are. And I think all <laughs> That's of, great. Thank you. <laughs> no, but I think, I think most people, if you ask them, I mean, after you kind of get past the, the basic things that you need to live, um, you know, we're all looking for something more, something meaningful to make a contribution, to, to do something that we can be proud of um, and and to be part of something bigger than ourselves. So I think most of us actually would quite like to do it. But of course, if you're doing something like skills-based volunteering, then, you know, that thing, it's kind of like, you know, eating your vegetables or going to school or upgrading yourself in any way. Like it does require a bit of effort and it is... Um, and, and it does kind of compete with every other thing in your life, like watching TV or seeing your kids on Sunday or, or, or whatever else. Um, so, of course, I think we'd all like to be better, but maybe if the conditions are right, we would like to be better. But I think that fundamentally we're all a lot nicer than, um, yeah, we might think on the surface. You touch a couple of points that really resonate um, for for my uh, to me personally, and and I really don't like to use the millennial um, label. I would call them young professionals, right? Um, it seems that what you are offering is exactly what uh, young professionals, especially in the creative field, are looking for. You know, giving back, uh, developing meaning. On the other side, everybody needs to 
um, you know, make a living. But I was having this conversation with a executive creative director of a large, let's say, I call it a foray. I, I don't want to um, say the name, but um, he was telling me that the first thing that he looks beside the super polished work is actually personal interest and contribution because this shows the the character of of uh, a potential new employee do you see that this is interesting for that generation i think uh the beginning we we first met also for this reason do you, do you find this um true or or not so after we in 2016 when we did our six months of market research we, after we found out that there was an issue for charities and social enterprises, then we thought, okay, if they've got skills gaps, who could fill those skills gaps and, you know, what kind of skills gaps do they have? And so actually for charities and social enterprises, quite often they can get a lot of high quality, very senior strategic advice. That's usually not hard for them. They're inspiring people. People love to have conversations and share with inspiring people, but the point that is is difficult is where the rubber meets the road. You've got you you've got us. You know that you need to do social media. Okay, somebody needs to make a strategy. Then somebody needs to make some posts, um, and then someone needs to you know get a graphic designer and, and and put it out. And so that's that's the part. And so for us, actually, we did quite a lot of research into young professionals because they're usually at the point in their career where they want to solidify and build on their skills and also give back in a very practical way whereas somebody perhaps more senior might be more comfortable doing advisory work mm -hmm. but may um may not want to do the kind of implementation projects that um are really those are the things that will really make a difference for a charity or social enterprise on this point i was thinking um have you have you thought about um, the theme of, of all these podcasts is business design? Mm -hmm. I wanted to know, do I actually get some of these professionals that go beyond the classic um, just delivery of, of something design work? So something, I, I call it makeup, right? <laughs> so something just aesthetic. And do you have other people that, or designer, I'm just curious to see if they actually... When they step in and they say, "Okay, this is the is you know I need to work on on the deck uh, mm -hmm. or the pitching deck," but I think I can help you craft a new strategy or reinvent the way that you are communicating. Is, is that happening? So usually, then we would take it from the top down. So um, because it, it's kind of pointless to talk about what you are like how your communication will come across before you've decided what it is you want to communicate. And even before that, why do you even want to communicate it in the first place? So we try to take things from the strategic level and then break the projects down. Yeah. So for example, one of our clients, um, we help them with identifying their target market. And then we help them identify then we helped them do a general marketing strategy. Then somebody else came in and they did their LinkedIn strategy. And then it, it kind of cascades down from mm -hmm. there. 
but we tried to get people who were all specialists in their fields. So it might take one person a super long time to really um, understand who their target audience should be. But for somebody who specializes, it's her job to help companies find their target markets. It was quite easy for her. Okay. And have you thought about matching like seasoned professional with younger i i'm thinking about you know my my students or uh students in general that are still in school and maybe they are, you know they're, they're talented they have the skills and it would be an amazing opportunity to actually work on somebody that's saying okay i'm, I'm advising and and then i have somebody that is executing and you get to work with you know a big Uh, name in the industry yeah so actually i mean locomotion by way of disclaimer we are the slowest startup ever we are (laughs) super slow but um our our um one partnership that we have with a design agency that's the thing that happened so um this agency did a full rebrand for a women's foundation and they did an absolutely i mean absolutely outstanding job uh sorry i i just well i'd like to describe the brand but then i think you know it, it, it's a bit hard if you can't see it um but the, if, if you want i, I can link on the <laughs> <laughs> um well actually it's an organization called her fund and if you have a look at the brand beforehand it look it, it's got a lot of red and white and black and Chinese calligraphy and and perhaps some of the the people who donated to her fund um, or who um, her fund helped thought that it was a very conservative brand but actually if you meet her fund they're amazing they're they're so joyful and innovative and passionate about um, helping um, underrepresented women um, find their voices and do projects that will really advance women in society. Um, so they, so this agency ended up creating this brand which looks like, well, I think it looks like um, two women kind of supporting each other in the E and the her. Um, and so, and, and the colors kind of shifted from those very stark colors to kind of a yellow and purple and very hopeful colors um, and really changed the whole feel. But the, sorry, but the point that I'm making is not to say how much I love the brand and I super love the brand and the organization's amazing. And if you're listening to this, you should check them out because they're great. But, um, Links are on GLC Live. <laughs> um, but, the, um, but the point was, um, in, this particular, in this particular exercise, there was an art director who then worked with um, more junior staff, including account managers and junior designers to... Um, to create the the rebrand and for some of the um for some of the people who were just starting out that um was a really helpful experience and again they they came out of it saying like you know i feel proud of my company i feel like it's nice to work for a company that cares about this stuff and then they said like oh i'm really i'm really happy to have worked with alan because you know he's he has amazing skills and and i learned a lot so yeah, so I think there is there is um, 
close partnerships between more senior people doing advisory things and then um, maybe younger professionals who are looking to build their skills really, really work. Um, yeah, it, it, it was lovely to think like because the theory and for skills-based volunteering and for local motion, the theory I think is sound, but local motion runs so many little experiments in our startup. It, it's actually quite nice when, you know, these things come, come off and, you know, you read that skills-based volunteering is supposed to have this kind of effect on people. Absolutely. But it's super nice when it actually happens, it happens. and you're like, oh, wow, well, I can see that and I can see why people, you know, really, really enjoyed it and why it was a good experience for this company. So if we want to go back to our um, efficiency team and, and we were discussing... Um, I would like to our audience to take a break, go on glc.live and um, click on the episode and find the worksheet. And we are going to discuss about this uh, small exercise on trying to be efficient and try to discover what should we tackle uh, first. This interlude is sponsored by glc.live. Please visit glc.live. That's glc.live. Or Golf Lima, Charlie Lima, India Victor Eco. Or good lies can live in valleys everywhere. Oh, and one more thing. Don't forget to download the worksheets for this episode. Bye. So Belinda, we are back and, and we are going to uh, do our small exercise. And uh, I call this exercise the Wilfred play, play, play. So the Wilfred play. Wilfred because he's based on uh, Wilfredo Pareto, which is an Italian engineer, mathematician and statistician. And... Um, I don't know, are you familiar with the concept of uh, the 80-20 rule or what is called the, the Pareto principle? It's either the most encouraging principle or the <laughs> most discouraging principle because most of your work is, you know, not useful. But <laughs> Well, you know, it, it, it's actually, I think, I think the opposite. So uh, let me tell you the story a little bit of the Pareto principle for who's not uh accustomed to it basically he uh he studied the distribution of peas in in his backyard so he noticed that actually 20 percent of the pea pods uh, contain almost 80 percent of the peas so in in this he developed his uh theory where um basically he's he theorized that 20 percent of the causes create 80 percent of the results mm -hmm. no so what we um this translating what is called the 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 law of the vital few so for many events roughly 80 percent of the effects come from 20 percent of the causes so i've been 
um, playing with this concept of how do we translate this into uh, something more practical like design, right? So uh, first of all, 80-20 is a, I would say a simplification, doesn't need to be 80-20 all the time. It could be 90-10. Okay. okay. <laughs> It's even it, more it could be 70-30. <laughs> so the concept is that most things in life, unfortunately, are not distributed evenly. Mm -hmm. Now, let's make, let's make a personal example. If you, let's say, uh, let's say you run a lot, okay. right? So unfortunately, all this exercise, but then every time you go to run, you go and you have, you know, a McDonald's or something, or you have a cheesecake, <laughs> the result will not yield. Meaning that even though you put a lot of effort, that's not enough. No. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are things that count more than others. For example, if you want to get fit, um, nutrition is more, imp is even more important than exercise. Exercise is extremely important but nutrition is even more important, no? So uh, in this exercise, I I try to challenge whoever I'm working with in trying to express this uh, concept into uh, pragmatic things. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's say, let's take an example together. Uh, what would you like to address? Uh, I know you have been going through a redesign of a website lately, if you want. Sure. Well, actually, I mean, our, well, I think because we're coming out the other end of the redesign of the website, then I could, yeah, probably okay. talk about that. So let's say that um, any organization, let's, let's say one of your clients wants to do a, a website redesign, right? And when it comes to redesign or when it comes to um, reinterpreting something, sometimes uh, a lot of creatives get uh, confused or, or maybe the, the problem is so broad, it's so big. I advise everyone that when you say, and this is, if I can share a secret with you, uh, this is something that I live every day. Now, when I see something that either disgusts me or something that I absolutely admire, I always ask myself, how would I do this better? Oh. And every time, no, so either, either or. But when you say this, you can get um, in a loop that goes, oh, I will change completely or I would remake everything in, in it, at least in my experience, rarely this happens, mm -hmm. right? So I started uh, developing this habit of saying, okay, how could I make, you know, I, I'm looking at your shirt and I say, okay, if I had to redesign this shirt, how could I make it 20% better, right? And so the 20% is, is just an example, but if we want to go through this practical example, let's say that we are redesigning this uh, website. Okay. So let's list the top 10 things that this website needs, for example. From a design perspective or from a functionality perspective? Whatever you like. Okay. Well, I'm, I suppose the locomotion 
started with my co-founder and I, and we had no technical experience whatsoever. Okay. I mean, none. Um, so we ended up actually um, going, um, being incubated by the Hong Kong Science Park, which is very stressful if you have no technical <laughs> experience. And we took over somebody else's platform in the middle of last year. Okay. So this actually was a very real problem for us because we had our minimum viable product, which we made and... And to be quite frank, it's very minimum. (laughs) And then um, we wanted to take it for skills-based volunteering that would actually work. So the the kinds of things that we had were the big the big things on our our current things that didn't work were um, you could you could enter the website, you could apply for a job, but that's really all you saw. You just saw information about a job, and you could put your details in a form and and that was all and then you know local motions magic elves on the back end did the rest of the matching for you so we needed to get people to have personal profiles we needed organizations to have um, organizational profiles a large chunk of our time is taken up by administration um, that some people in local motion are super good at it i am super bad at it i I'm actually terrible with things about time and space and teeing that up. So so things like, um, which shouldn't be a big deal, but things like... Invoicing or invoicing or... Or, or just like how to get the volunteer, the NGO and local motion to all meet at the same time on the same place. Right. So being able to simplify that was a big deal for us. Um, then, of course, it comes down to the um, appreciation. That was another thing. Because one of the things for local motion is that we realize that people, if they're donating their skills, should be treated and should be appreciated as if they've done something great, because quite frankly, they have. So we're not into like, you know, one size fits all appreciation. So actually, for everybody who um, donates their skills, they get um, an outcome certificate, which which gives the commercial value of the donation of their time. And then they also get a video from the NGO or social enterprise, like, hi, this is Michelle from Rooftop Republic. Thank you so much for the banner you've designed for us. You've saved us this much time and this much money. And most importantly, this is what we're going to do with it going forward. Because we don't do any projects which are busy work for adults. They're all projects which the organization is going to get good use out of. So one of our problems was how to put, how to, collate all of that stuff so mm-hmm. um, volunteers could see it. Um, sorry, we're at number four, four now. Do you want all 10 problems? Because I can go for 10, but we can leave <laughs> it at four you, if, if we if can you like. speed it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? Um, things like timing calendars. Um, when does your project start? When does your project finish? We needed one of those. Um, something about being able to search for volunteers, like rather than use Google Database, but like who has which skills so that we can recommend them for which projects. Um, We do all the admin right now, but it would be better if organizations could look at people who have applied and approve them, decline them or waitlist them. Um, uh, What else? Oh, we had so much stuff. (laughs) For companies, how um, how could we show companies that what is the um, value of all of their staff skilled volunteering and um, could we show them um, which causes their staff light Um, and if you have a company who 
particularly loves animals but wants nothing to do with education issues, could you only show them or their staff like jobs that relate to animal welfare? Um, or could you just say this particular company only wants to work with one charity? Can you give them jobs from those particular charities? Can you blacklist charities for a particular company? Like this company never wants to work with this charity. So we never want our staff to see any jobs from them. So that was a big deal for us. And then for the charities and social enterprises, how can we keep all the deliverables in one place? If people buy a package of 10 projects, then over email, we have deliverables flying everywhere. everywhere. And, you know, f again, some people at Locomotion are really good at it. For me, it breaks my head. So we really, really needed... So file management. Yeah, file management was huge. Um, and then, gosh, I've got... I've three more. Come on. Three more. Okay. <laughs> so the company certificate. Oh, wait, only two more because of the um, NGO and like the, the NGOs you could recommend or not recommend. I think I think the last one would really would really be for the NGOs. We want to we want to show them that the value that you're getting is definitely worth what you're paying. And usually um and so we want to show to NGOs, like, okay, you've had, you know, five volunteers, they've donated, or they've donated this much time to you, and this is what it's been worth to you. Because, you know, skills-based volunteering, even though it's low cost, it's not free. Mm -hmm. So, and we charge NGOs um, a small rate for um, for the projects, but also it requires them to invest time. And if they're already super, super stretched, then, you know, some people might be like, well, you know, I don't want to spend the time or they get back to you late or, or whatever else. But if you've got a very professional professional on the other end, you know, they don't have unlimited time. They they might have this window of time that they can give you, but they don't have yeah, forever. Of so the last thing that we had was for NGOs to really show them in an easy way, like, you know, this is all the value that these people are generating for you. Great. So, okay, you, now we have our top 10, mm -hmm. you know, um, and now here is where I ask you to apply the 80-20 rules. Okay. What are the two things out of this 10 that absolutely you must have? Like, you need to choose only two out of these 10 things. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. super hard. Exactly. <laughs> that is super, super hard. Um, okay. So I think because for locomotion, we always, even though, I mean, we're the slowest startup or our MVP is so minimal, <laughs> we always wanted to try to do something that could scale and be more efficient. Um, because quite frankly, if you could help one charity, it's great. But if, but it won't really make a big dent in the skills shortage. So I would say that the that the um, the the things that would make the biggest difference, I hate to say it, but are administrative. So um, so volunteer profiles and organization profiles. If people can see each other online, see mm -hmm. each other's experience, right now local motion matches them, but in the future would these organizations be able to approve volunteers or not themselves that might be more helpful 
And then the other thing, but, a, but we'll have to see how this feature goes. We made a feature for um, conversations between local motion, the charity and um, the volunteer because yeah, trying to tee three people up to be together at the same time. I mean, you would think it would be so easy, but it's, it breaks my head yeah. every project. Well, I can see that. So the two things you were saying, let's confirm conversation. Yeah. Conversations. And then filter uh, matching uh, yeah. profile matching. That's it. All right. So now the theory mm -hmm. is that this is your 20%. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, unfortunately we don't have the time to go a couple of rounds through this because that's what we would do in, in real life. But uh, the theory says that if you get these two things right, 100% right, all the other eight remaining factor will automatically fall into place because yes, that would be amazing. Yeah. Let me explain. Uh, let me give you a practical, uh, another practical example. Um, are you familiar with the iPod? Yes. Okay. The iPod, which actually is the product that made Apple, what's Apple, $1 trillion of today. Apple was on the verge of bankruptcy and the iPod basically saved uh, Apple oh, at wow. the time. And Yes, it was a beautiful product. It was a revolutionary product. But the one thing, the 20% that pushed uh, in the, the difference of, of that product, Apple didn't invent the MP3 player. I had uh, other MP3 player, the creative that looked like a CD player. I don't know if you remember that. You're, you're younger than me, so probably not. Probably not. <laughs> no, no, I'm probably not younger is what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and is the the key of of the Apple iPod was that in three clicks you could get to the song that you wanted. So the click wheel and all that innovation came from that simple input. That twenty percent that was the most impactful feature. Yeah. How do I get to whatever song I have? Album artist playlist. Uh, genre, uh, whatever, in three clicks. Okay, so this was what made at the time the 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 iPod, and this is the same theory. When you have to address such a complex problem, and when we talk about efficiency, is exactly that. What are the result given the cost, right? So if I have to put a price tag on each one of the these 10 things, right? It's very rare that all of these 10 things, for example, are, they have the same price tag, are what we say they are evenly distributed. So, okay, it's 10, we are paying 100. It's not true that you are paying for 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, okay? So, whatever, there are some items that might be more expensive because they take more bandwidth or more database space, or it's, it's just some items are more complicated to develop, right? So if you look at your 
um, <laughs> probably your invoice of your developer, there are some items that are more expensive than other. And this shows also this uneven distribution. But if we refer to that and we are able to identify this 20%, then you will be able to successfully reallocate your resources throughout the other eight. So I have a question then, sure. John Luca, because the iPad was a perfectly adequate MP like yeah. MP3 player, and then the kind of the beautiful part about it was the three clicks to get to any song that you wanted. So, but the MP3 player part already worked very well. Sure. So when I talk to you about, you know, what are the 20% of things which are tricky for us, and I say very prosaic things like the administration or, you know, the profiles. Mm -hmm. Actually, I mean, if I really thought about this, that should be the basic, basic stuff that we should be able to get right anyway. Mm -hmm. So maybe so maybe those two things might be the the kind of the 20% that we should be doing anyway. The part that makes people come back to local motion or the part that makes people excited about locomotion and slightly frustrated with us because we haven't released our new website yet is the appreciation. I mean, like, it's probably the easiest things to do. Um, charities love to make these sh short videos for volunteers. Um, volunteers love to see what their work has been worth and how it will be used. And it's super, super easy. Um, but yeah, that probably has made the biggest difference to us. The things that I, I tell you about for the the admin stuff, I mean, if I'm really honest, we should be able to do that mm -hmm. anyway. Well, this is the, the old point of this exercise. Mm. This allows you to think about it. You just said something extremely powerful, right? Like, this is the stuff that we should get right because... This is known. This is this is on the market. You know, yeah. like matching profile. There are one thousand apps or yeah. communication. We communicate now almost um, every day, only through messaging or you know, email is becoming the obsolete version of that yeah. because we have LinkedIn, we have um, a messenger, we have WhatsApp, we have WeChat, we have uh, Slack or, or so many other elements. So for example, these are all things that, like I said before, the Pareto rule doesn't, doesn't look at the totality of it. Mm. You know, it's the, the philosophy of the Pareto rule is the most impact not the total impact, the most impact. Of course, you need to have all of those 10 things if you want to be number one ranking. But the problem is, how do you get from number 1,005 to top 10? And probably you don't need to have all of those in line, right? And if we go back to our initial example of you know getting fit, probably running a marathon is not the goal. If, if you want to get in better shape, just the fact that, you know, you eat clean six days a week and then you allow yourself one cheat day and then you work out three times a week and two of them are in the gym and one is yoga, that's already really good for your general health. 
that doesn't make you a, a ultra runner or, or a high performance athlete. Okay. So if you want to be Michael Phelps, of course, you need 100% of everything. You need to be extremely rigid with your training and extremely rigid with your um, diet and, and also your psychological power needs to be in line. So, but for you as a general uh, person, no, that's enough. So this is also something that in design, especially in business design, I want to stress why I'm, I'm so passionate about the topic, which is, is, is exactly about this. The difference between, I will repeat it over and over, <laughs> the difference between, between business and design is that traditionally business are implemented and design are discovered. There is a huge difference, you know? So in, in business, the, the, the difference between the two is that when you implement something, um, the results are known. Now I put the, the Lego pieces together. I know my Lego pieces are, you know, the square, the, the rectangle and, you know, the smaller rectangle, right? So the, the comp com combining those elements, you know, putting those things together is the result is known. Well, when you start designing something, the results should be unknown. If you want to create something truly innovative, you, you don't know. You don't know where you're going, right? So, and this is where I try, you know, I've been dedicating this time on, on trying to match these two. And so how can we design a business, right? How do I ease my, the person that I help? whether I use a student or a corporation or an audience, how do I ease them in trying to understand these little components, which is like you said, you know, the, the 20% that you're trying to decide is unknown yet, but I'm trying to dedicate my time on, on giving these tools on, on trying to make you ease this process because of course you need all 10 of them. That's the total impact, but the most impact, um, I would dare to say that probably if, if this was a process that you engaged at the very beginning, maybe those things would have been already launched because you would have prioritized, look, this is, this is it. These are the kill. Well, you know, you call a killer app in, in, uh, in the internet era now, or the killer features. Now, what are the killer features? And then you try to address these two first and the rest comes as a subsequence because if you go get those right, if you get those, um, functions working, those carry the most of the impact. Very <laughs> cool. It. Very cool. Definitely fast. I think then it's the appreciation. Yeah. That had the biggest impact. Absolutely. But you see, then maybe that could be a, um, uh, that could have been resolved through, for example, you know, building a, a channel through a famous social media and then building from there, right? 
I don't know, I'm I'm acting as your business designer of locomotion, which by the way, sign me up for <laughs> any kind of skills related where I can contribute. I would love to do that. Thank you, John Luca. <laughs> Everybody you heard John Luca say that. <laughs> I'm going to find you after this. No, I'm kidding. And um, thank you so much. If there is anything else you want to um, you want to discuss, um, or maybe we can just recap our small discussion. Sure. Actually, I did have a question. Please. Um, because actually, what you said about from a business, it's an implementing thing, and from design, it's discovering. Yeah. And quite frankly, because lo nobody in locomotion had ever built a startup before, we really went at it from a perspective of discovery. Because, in in the nicest way to our former selves, we didn't really know what we were doing, and we just experimented and iterated. But when you're kind of getting to the point where you're not starting from scratch any longer. You have a structure that you are working with. How do you discover the next bit of your business? Mm. Wow, that's, that's a big one. Um, we can apply the same. You can, you can apply the same theory of exactly the Pareto principle, saying, okay, now we build something, right? We have something, we have a skeleton, or, or we are at a certain point. Now, from now on, what will be the next stage? Now, what will have the greatest impact to our organization now that we are at phase three? Thank you. Now, um, if you look at it from a classic venture capital um, perspective, for example, you know, let's say that you were uh, a Facebook, right? Where you have several rounds of capital. Now, for example, um, when you start, you get seed capital. So you're saying, okay, I'm going to give you 100K to get to this many uh, users or, or followers or whatever. No? And then you get another injection to get maybe from the back end. So now you have to have no, 500 uh, developers. And then the phase three is another part. And then finally you go into phase four, which is how do, how do I make you public, right? How do I go on stock market? Which makes a huge difference because then you, you move from being a privately held company to a public company, which has totally different rules. So, if we learn from that model at one, I mean, this is something that you can do on a regular basis and saying, okay, in this phase of our development, what will have the greatest impact? Now, there is another very scary exercise, but, and, um, and I, I'm going to use Apple again. Um, what will kill my product? Okay. Right. So uh, this is, I think is one you need to dig a, a little bit deeper on the internet to find it. But I think is a, is a lost interview of Steve Jobs. Then after six months that he launched the iPod, 
um, and and the iPod was, you know, doing marvels. He actually started thinking, "What will kill the iPod?" So, what will kill the iPod? And um, what he what he figured out was that actually, at one point, people will put the music in their phone. Once again, I had at the time a Motorola touch screen that could carry MP3. When the iPod was out, most of the people had the flip phone, the Motorola, they looked like a muscle. <laughs> you remember? I, I think it's StarTag, was it? Was I had it? the Razer, I think. The Razer, <laughs> exactly. Well, that was the fancy one already. <laughs> well, those kind of mobile phones, they had the capability of having MP3 in their memory at the time. So his, his thinking was, what will kill the iPod? So at one point, that happened to be the phone. So the touchscreen element, of course, was already in the pipeline. I mean, this based on this interview, right? And he said, so the iPad was already in, in, in the process. But because the killer of the iPod, which at the time was the bestseller of Apple, was going to be a phone, that's when they fast-tracked the development of the iPhone. So, I mean, it's very scary, and um, and sometimes people in general in, 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 um, in corporation don't like to ask these hard questions. Yeah. But asking these hard questions is very healthy, and mm. saying, okay, what will kill us? Mm. What could kill us today? So I don't know, a huge uh, emoji of capital will kill us, mm -hmm. right? A scandal on the government will kill us. A, you know, if this person leaves specifically of our organization, we, we will totally go, you know, belly up. And... Um, and these are interesting questions to ask because then this creates what is called the reframing of of this challenge, right? So, so if you can ask today, um, could you? How would you? And this is an interesting challenge because we we discussed about uh, your website, right? So something happens, no website, like there is no internet. What would you do? How would you do it? If there's no internet, <laughs> then I think we would. Um, well, then I, if there's no internet, net, then I think we'd just pick up and do our stuff. Well, I was going to say over email, but there's no internet. So it's a bit tricky, isn't it? It, it is tricky, but um, we actually did an exercise with uh, Stelio on the podcast uh, with Michael Time from IBM IX, is called the Time Machine. So if you want to go, I believe it's episode two. Yes. <laughs> so you can look, and, and this is exactly what we have done. Um, trying to, what is called uh, um, reframing the challenge. So you should ask yourself, in, in, uh, in combination with those, uh, with these questions, is because this is the most impact that you have. Like, hmm. you still have 
your business model. Your business model is not dependent on on your website, right? Is is dependent on something else, unless you are ninety nine. Uh, I mean, if you are LinkedIn and you have no internet, that's a problem because your entire business model is it's it's there, right? So if you're Google and there is no internet, you're pretty much gone. But if your organization can survive that, then is, there is a way of rethinking on saying, okay, what's the asset? How would we do it? Because an airline, which is now 99.9 depend, I don't know if you ever, how many years is that you have been flying? Have you ever went to the actual counter and bought a flight ticket? I don't think so, <laughs> right? So in the old days, you had an agency that was doing the same through phone. So the airline itself, uh, the business model just, the, the internet just facilitated the process, but the airline was existing prior to the internet, right? So if, you know, in, in for some reason, there is, there is, a, there is a huge blackout, uh, yeah, of the internet in Hong Kong tomorrow for, for whatever reason, um, I mean, the airplane will still fly. You would just need to call from a landline or whatever, but the business model would still exist. You, you understand what I mean? Yes. So yes. It, when you are in these phases, um, in, in, in the book I talk about this, you know, what are you enabling what are you disrupting? You know, what, what is it that you're doing that the industry is, is you can do 10 times better? And what are the things that, so cost and value, the, this is called value innovation. If you, if there is a wonderful book, I uh, recommend Blue Ocean Strategy. I don't know why I did this sleep, but <laughs> but th that's the that's the key. How do I reduce my costs to the level of um, super efficiency? And how do I uh, extend my offerings to the, pro the to the part that it's so valuable that people are willing to pay twice whatever it is? And this is you know a lot of luxury brands function the same way. Because, you know, your jeans, my jeans are the same, but yours are Dior and they cost $1,000 and mine are Gap and they cost $10, right? They're basically the same. <laughs> Did I answer your question? I think so. I think so. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still thinking about what is going to kill locomotion. <laughs> I'm also thinking of a world without internet, because if I cannot cope um, online with all the admin, oh my gosh, what will happen offline? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe it would be actually, you know, we have uh, sometimes these constraints and these extreme um, conditions will actually come, uh, come, come back with, with, very um, viable solutions. Yeah. I think I'll be thinking about this after, <laughs> after our podcast. After our podcast. 
So thank you so much, Belinda. If we want to follow you, where can we find you? Uh, so Locomotion um, has our minimum viable product up now, but within September, we will, <laughs> knock on wood, have launched. Um, we're at www.localmotion.hk. Okay. And uh, thank you very much. And, you know, I believe we truly have the opportunity to change the world and, and you are you are one example of this. Uh, we don't need to make a lot. And I think if we go about it and trying to change it 20% at the time, maybe we, we can achieve uh, something great. So GLC Live is produced by Gary Moran. Special thanks to Belinda Poole of Locomotion. I'm Gianluca Cinque Palmi. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. For references and links, please visit glc.live. Thank you so much for having me, Gianluca. It's been such a pleasure. I've really learned a lot. Thank you so much, Belinda. <laughs>